Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Consulting Trap. This is Brian Maddox. I am joined today with Tisa Hami from Corsi Consulting. Welcome, Tisa. Thank you, Brian. Good to be here. Uh, Tisa, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and where you come from and how you got to where you are? Sure. So I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and trainer. I'm the founder and principal of Corsi Consulting. So I work with organizations across industries, different sizes, um, on their DEI strategies and goals and training programs. Um, So that is, in a nutshell, what I do. And I have a pretty circuitous path to how I got here. Um, So I am an immigrant. I'm from Iran originally, but grew up in suburban Boston. Um, And my parents... um, were retired, are retired now, but they were like very, you know, working professionals. My mother's a dentist. My father's a software engineer. So they always pushed education. And I went to a competitive suburban Boston high school where we were told to study hard and go to an Ivy League school. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, And after college, I went to work on Wall Street. And I always say this was back in the 1900s. And I say it that way for a reason. It was the 90s. Um, and back then, we did not have diversity managers on Wall Street. We didn't talk about diversity. Um, but looking around, I couldn't help but notice that almost any time I was in a meeting, I was the only woman, never mind the only woman of color or the only immigrant woman. Um, but we weren't supposed to talk about it. And it seemed like we weren't supposed to notice it. And I tried different companies found I the same thing everywhere. And I just noticed no matter what good work I did, I was ignored. I was overlooked. It was like I was invisible. And I didn't get it, but I thought, okay, I need to go do something else. So after three plus years on Wall Street, um, I made a big career pivot. I became a stand-up comic. Um, that was after 9-11. I, being from a moderate Muslim family, being Middle Eastern, um, that was not a good time to have that identity. Um, And post 9-11, I just felt like I needed to be speaking out in some way. And my way to do that was through comedy. Um, And it turns out I was one of the early female Muslim stand-up comics that started to get attention. And I started to get asked to do other things like speaking engagements, workshops, talking at academic conferences, uh, talking to community groups, things like that. Um, And I said yes to those things. I ended up traveling the country doing that. Um, and after years of that, I eventually uh, pivoted into DEI consulting and training because I always remembered Wall Street, that something else was happening, that I wasn't succeeding because I was good and I was smart, but I kept getting overlooked and I didn't want anyone else to get overlooked or ignored because of their identity or to miss out on the career that they wanted. So that's what brought me to this work. So the, the nobility of that quest um, notwithstanding, how did you turn it into business? How did you turn that the you know the admirable mission that you had into something that can pay the bills? Sure. So I started at another DEI consulting firm to you know just to understand it a little bit more from that lens. Um, eventually, decided I, I thought I thought to myself, I think I can do it better than this. <laughs> That's what drove me, um, and. Part of what I'm able to do, um, you know, it's not my first time in solopreneurship or entrepreneurship. I was a stand-up comic, which is really running your own 
one person business. So it's not my first time in this world. Um, so I wasn't like sort of scared of it in that sense. Um, also, I, I'm drawing from experiences that I've had now in a 20 plus year career, um, whether it's Wall Street and remembering all that work I did with client engagement and expectations uh, on that level. So I constantly draw from my Wall Street days, even though it, it was now over 20 years ago. Um, to speaking, obviously, to speaking to groups that comes from my comedy days and other things I did before. So I have the basic skill set. Um, and for me, it was about finding the clients. Um, and again, uh, trying to offer something that m- most people aren't doing. So there may be a lot, there are a lot of DEI consultants. Um, but like we do at Corsi, we do um, not just your usual facilitator-led trainings, but also um, more creative ones using theater-based methods. Um, so I do interactive theater, diversity monologues, interactive comedy and storytelling, where I hire actors, performers, storytellers um, as part of corporate training programs. Um, and then we use what we see as a jumping off point for a discussion. So for example, with interactive theater, I will get to know a company, then I'll hire actors, write write scenes, hire actors to act out those scenes for the company. Um, And a typical scene might be like an interview scene where you have a hiring manager interviewing, let's say, the typical candidate who works out at the company generally. And they're also interviewing, then they interview the person who they're kind of supposed to interview because of diversity. And we see how differently those interviews go. And of course, the hiring managers usually think they're saying the same thing to everybody, but they're not. So it's that show rather than tell approach. And we watch that scene. Um, and then we have that discussion with the audience about what they saw and what, what they would do in that situation and so on. That talks to the mechanics of kind of what you do. Yeah. The, the, what's interesting, I think, too, is you, you mentioned, you know, that one of the hardest challenges was getting your first couple of clients and stuff like that. How did you go about that part of the conversation? Mm. Yeah, so part of it is just the people I have gotten to know over the course of my career. Uh, it turns out if you went to an Ivy League school, even though your classmates seem like clowns back in the 90s, now they're like chief of surgery at the hospital and they're a partner at their law firm and et cetera, et cetera. So that's been helpful. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you are the chief of surgery? Okay, sure. Great. <laughs> you know, Um so, so that's been helpful. It's just the contacts I, I have had over the years. Um, and then in terms of other things, like I did things like join local business networking groups. Um, I do some sort of free talks or sort of honorarium based talks for local business associations or chambers of commerce. Um, for me, you know, in one sense, it's giving back to the community, letting people attend a conversation that they don't have to pay for. And also, it gets the word out there about what I do. People are able to see a sample of what I do. Um, so I, I would say it's been a combination of like business networking groups, per- personal professional contacts, and these uh, occasional um, talks I do that are open to community groups, uh, business associations, things like that. So um, at the risk of this turning into a long commercial, and I, I, I mean this in the benignest way, obviously, um, when folks need you, 
what is their primary complaint? What are the things that they're saying? Like my organization's, you know, busted in this way. Um, I need, I need Tisa to come in and help. What is What does that sound like? Sure. So I hear from uh, people at companies who are at different points. Uh, some come in pretty specific, like we we know we want to have training or we have we were able to secure the funds to do company-wide training this year on bias um, or you know, something like that. So they come in knowing. Um, but even there, once you start talking to anybody about what, what it is, whatever, that they've secured funding for, and once you dig with, behind the layers a bit, you find other things. Um, so that's kind of one thing when they come in knowing what they want. What I've been hearing, particularly the past two or so years, is organizations who are doing DEI work for the first time. And they come in sometimes, and what I hear is, we know we want to do something, we don't know where to start. And so that's a different type of conversation than a company who, let's say, has been doing this work or already has done one or two rounds of training. So I really hear from companies at different points. Um, in their, I, I almost hate this phrase, but DEI journey. Um, so it really depends, but I've been seeing more and more people who are just starting to do this work. So it's interesting. You, you mentioned that people are, are buying training um, and I'm going to, I guess, counter that by saying nobody really buys training. They're trying to buy an outcome that training creates, right? The, right. the training just happens to be a method. What is the outcome right of what you know what your your work is what is the um like what business benefits can you realize as somebody who embraces one of these programs yeah so i what i want to say with training is if the training you know some of my colleagues say training doesn't move the needle at all um i say it moves it a bit i i think there are things that we do but i don't think any company should be doing training only it needs to be part of an overall plan and part of what you're doing in addition to training. What training can do is it can, like, let's say a company is just starting out. Mm -hmm. It can give people the language for these conversations. I talk to companies that are like, we've never said the word diversity at our company. And I think if we ask people here to define diversity, they wouldn't know how. We need the real basics. So whether it's that or the companies at a different level, part of it is just establishing the common language. Part of it is giving people the time and space to have these discussions, whether it's for the first time or that, yeah, we hear about DEI, but we never have time to talk about it together. So creating a space for them to talk about it together, it raises awareness. It gives you some tools walking out of it. Um, so I, I would say ultimately training is about education. But, but an effective DEI sort of function in an organization, what's the business outcome you're driving to? So this is interesting because there's there are different thoughts on this. And for a, for a long time, the conversation in DEI was about the business case. Like, what is the business case for DEI? And there, there's a lot of research out there on if you have more women in leadership, if you have more people of color in leadership or on your board, et cetera, et cetera, you're more profitable. So there's the whole business case of diversity. The next movement to come in has been, and, and that was a way, frankly, to get a lot of white male leaders who weren't on board for these efforts to get them on board, to show them the business case. What was noticed was it started to backfire, that it was, okay, I hired 
three XYZ people, where's my bigger profit? And it's like, well, okay, it's not quite that. Or it was, I'm only hiring them because of the bigger, it, it, it set it set the folks of color or whoever was different. It set them up with these extremely high expectations put on them um, that weren't being put on, you know, uh, let's say a, a white worker who came in. Like we all have worked with someone who was average at their job, but the people of color who came in weren't sort of allowed to be average at their job. They had to be exceptional because they were trying to make this DEI business case. Um, and so the whole thing just was really muddled with the business case for DEI. And so then it started to move toward the moral case, that it's the right thing to do um, and so on and so forth. And now it's sort of moving toward, you know, there are some people who are like, eh, you know, the moral case doesn't work with everyone. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to even think what the language, there's some, I, I'm, I'm forgetting the term for it now but just more sort of like a humanistic look that, look, this is just how it is around us. Not quite that simply, but, you know, but this almost goes back to the business case about how the world just is getting more diverse. Here are the statistics around that. You're going to lose out on recruitment, retention, product ideas, serving your customers, um, all of which ties into the business case. So I don't know, I've given you a very roundabout answer to that. Yeah, it's well. It's interesting, and the the reason um, I ask, and I know that all the all these questions are like kind of seem sharp and pointy, and the, no, the I'm, real I'm good. <laughs> the real mission here is to help folks that you know they're that have not been exposed to this um, understand kind of the um, what what that function is bringing to the table, um, and and in a lot of cases with uh, with our listeners and with the smaller consulting practices. Um, what what's hard to see sometimes is your voice may not be heard because of who you are. Uh, right. Things that you have no control over, accidents of happenstance of birthplace, happenstance of birth, right. race, whatever, um, you know, gender, the, all of that sort of conversation gets um, sometimes in the way of our ability to create effective outcomes as consultants. And so I think it's important that we tell that story when uh, when folks are struggling, they may be competent change leaders. They may be competent at creating a more powerful or effective organization from a process perspective or strategically. Um, but there may be stuff working against them that they can't even see. Um, they're right. literally blind to it. You know, it's a, it's like a face blindness kind of thing. Like I've got no idea that this exists, and it's it's easier from that place of privilege to say that, right? Um, so right. part of the like, what's what's the benefit conversation that that you know I'm looking for for our audience is that look, there's lots of stuff you can't see, and here's why you should tr you should spend the time trying to see it. Right, exactly, and it's interesting that you say all that because you're bringing me yeah back to basics, um, and, and in a sense, I think a lot of the folks I'm talking to they been convinced. So I'm sort of not having those conversations anymore. When they get to the point that they come to me, they've been convinced that they need to do something. But yeah, if we're kind of going back to basics, everything you just said, and yeah, different workplaces are different for different people. Um, I still sometimes have that conversation where people are like, oh, I thought everyone was kind of having the same experience. And it's like, no, based on people's identities, they are not. And so what that means is if someone isn't being heard, and they're not being heard one time, 
in one meeting, but then 10 times and 20 times, you know what happens? They stop trying. They stop trying to be heard. They stop with their ideas. And eventually they go find another job where they will be heard. So you're losing good people by not being inclusive, by not listening to everybody. Who are you overlooking? Sometimes we just hear the loudest voices in the room. You know, meetings tend to follow the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people do 80% of the talking. Whose voices are you missing? So there are people you are overlooking. I can guarantee you there are people you are overlooking right now in your own company who are really good because they're not loud. There are people who are being overlooked because for whatever reason, they're being shut down. That tends to follow, just like you said, um, identity, who is privileged, who is not, who holds a margin, uh, historically marginalized identity, especially once you pile identities on top of each other. So if someone is a person of color with a disability and transgender and, 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 that person is even more historically marginalized. So you're missing out on a lot of things. So then that's going to impact your customers, your products, um, anything that has to do with innovation, creativity. Um, and then obviously for recruitment, retention, things like that. Gen Z is coming in with the expectation that their workplace will be uh, diverse and inclusive. So if it's not, they're going to keep looking. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of reasons from that sort of back to basics perspective. It's interesting because I'm, I'm seeing it right now. I mean, I've, I have kids and um, one of the things that's really clear is the education system has changed significantly from when I was a boy. And sure. um, uh, when, when that change happened, uh, a lot of it was about inclusiveness. It was about um, making sure everyone feels like, you know, that they have equal right to be in the room. That doesn't mean they, they have executive privilege to be a jerk. It just means that everyone, you know, has a right to be, and that in and of itself is is such a powerful conversation and contrast. So when you say Gen Z is looking for it, I mean, I can see it in my kids. It is yeah. a uh, uh, they they are absolutely uh, completely ignorant to uh, some of those things, and I I mean that in the most benign way. I'm ignorant of it, meaning like it, it never even occurred to them. It never entered their frame of reference. Sure. That somebody who is different uh, is somebody we should treat poorly because of their difference. Right. Exactly. And we who are, you know, older than this, like I'm Gen X, you know, some of these kids oh, were born. Don't worry. Obama. I always forgot about you already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of these kids were born when Barack Obama was already president yeah. or were really young when that happened. Like that's the first election they remember. And that's very different from, you know, my experience or someone else in my age group where for us, it was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? But for them, it, yeah, yes, well, we were just born in that. Um, so yeah, completely different perspective. Yeah, us Gen Xers, man, we keep getting left out. That's normal. I know, but we're, we're forgotten. Yeah, uh, we're busy keeping the lights on and the train's running and I got stuff to do. So exactly. when, it, <laughs> when it comes to the diversity conversation, um, obviously, you know, running around telling companies like, hey, you suck at this probably isn't the way you're marketing. Um, uh, and I understand that, you know, we're, we're at a place socially where legislation seems to come in and almost mandates your existence as an organization, for lack of a better way to describe it. You've got, uh, obviously, clearly better insight in this, into that space. But um, when you have to go out and pound the pavement, what are you saying? Um, so I, I think part of it is just the individual read on whoever I'm talking to. 
So I always say, you know, meet people wherever they're at. Um, so what's going on with them? And again, you, it, I'm not sort of, well, am I meeting people at random? I guess in COVID days, not so much where they're just right. like, well, convince me this matters. I know what's been used in the, in the past has, and, and I've never done it, but I had people um, sort of, you know, some, I would call them sort you know, so sort of mentors, not exactly who were like, you got to scare people. You got to be like, Oh, you don't want that lawsuit coming at you. Sure. Like that's one tactic. I, I, I it's kind of not what I, I, I don't know. That's kind of not my style. Um, for me, it's more just like, what are you missing out on? Um, what are you missing out on by not doing this? Um, and even going back, if people do come, come at you with sort of a business case thing, um, you know, well, what's the business case for an all white male leadership team? Um, you know, what are you missing there? So whatever people come up with sort of having a different way for them to view whatever they're seeing as a positive. Like, so if they're saying, well, we've been doing fine with what we have, which is an all white male leadership team. How's that going to look for you in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Um, and what's your business case for that? Um, so kind of sort of using the slangy same language. So figuring out what language they speak and using that same language um, and just finding like some sort of argument, some sort of um, idea that they might resonate with you using some of those terms they're already using. Right. So, uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask how you're getting most of your business now. I mean, referrals is typically the, the, the highest answer for most people, but beyond yeah, referrals. Yeah, it is referrals. Easy. It's through, yeah. Um, like I'm a part of, so my, the, the folks I want to reach out to are if a company is, um, if they already have a DEI manager, certainly those folks. Um, if they don't, it's usually an HR function. So I want to go to where those people are. So I have joined HR associations. I speak at conferences mm -hmm. where HR reps and DEI managers are present. So that's another thing that I do is go where they are already gathered. Um, and yeah, those networking groups continue to network. Um, I do get stuff from doing those talks that I said I do. Um, those are really the main ways. Right. That's um, it's uh, I imagine, you know, and, and there are certain um, business functions that lend themselves to the like travel in the conference circuit. Right. Um, sure. you know, HR is one of those functions. They they have a tendency to have conferences of various sorts, shapes and sizes. Um, there's there's not a, a ton of conferences out there in like the strictly consulting space by, by prime, you know, for, by contrast anyway. So when you're, um, you're out of these conferences, you're, you're networking, you're building your relationships, you're, you know, increasing your exposure and building rapport. And I think it's important for folks that are listening to this, that are in a situation where um, the, the conference route is a legit thing um to understand that, that you can't get too early into that game even if you just go as a participant you never know who you're going to shake hands with and and i think that's great counsel um so we're starting to run out of time and i want to make sure we get to some really important questions um let me start with uh the first one which is um who should reach out to you and how should they get a hold of you sure so I'm at, Cor at CorsiConsulting.com, so K-O-R-S-I Consulting.com, and you'll see my email there, which is T 
Tisa, T-I-S-S-A, at CourseyConsulting.com. So that's the way to reach me. I'm also on LinkedIn and um, you can find me there. And um, in terms of who, I think anyone who wants their organization to be better, um, if you're a decision maker at your organization, certainly. So if you're on the leadership team, if you're a DEI, um, if you're on the DEI team, if you're an HR, if you're a nonprofit, you're a board member. Um, and if you're an employee at your organization and you're in an employee resource group, um, so somewhere where you either have the decision-making authority or some influence on how DEI is going to work at your company. Awesome. And uh, on, on our sort of way out the door here, what are some resources that were extremely influential to you as you started your practice? Yeah, I mean, for me, there DEI is so new that I don't know there was so much there was so much when I was coming in. But there's a lot now, and I think a good starting point is the, the LinkedIn DEI series. They have a lot of different topics, um, and I think you can get sort of a free trial of that. Um, and then there are so many books, podcasts, documentaries, so whatever your, whatever your preference is there. So a book is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. Um, a doc, good documentary is 13th. Um, podcasts. I've heard nice white parents on NPR is good. I haven't heard it, um, but I think those are good starting points. And so many libraries and universities have anti-racism resources too. So even Googling anti-racism resources, you're going to get some great lists. Awesome. And probably your website, which is great. And my website. Thank you so much, Tisa, for being on the show today. Um, I really look forward to hearing how your journey goes. And as you uh, as you learn something new or, or have something, uh, some amazing breakthroughs, you please reach out and we'll get you back on the show. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tisa. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Consulting Trap. If you have suggestions for future episodes or would like to be a guest on our show, please send me an email at brian at podcastchef.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at P-O-D-C-I-S-T-C-H-E-F dot com. Before we go, we'd like to thank the sponsor of our show, Podcast Chef. Podcast Chef helps turn ordinary podcasting into a revenue-generating lead magnet for your consulting business. Our podcasting done-for-you service takes away the headache of starting up and running your own podcast. Reach out now to take advantage of our 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit us at podcastchef.com to find out how our team of experts can help you leverage podcasting to take your business to the next level. Hey, you. Yes, you. It's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet. Or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. Uh, we will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks.
Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks.